Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 58, with me, Kirsten Nuts, and Nick Kirby, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, making photos, making videos, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, before we get into it, though, um, just remember that we are not sponsored by anybody. So if you could hit the subscribe button, um, hit like, that would really help us out. We would really appreciate it. If you're listening on the audio version on, on Apple Podcasts, for example, leave us a little star rating, we'll review that would go a long way. Now, that being said, let's get started. Let's do it. Cool. So we are back in the beautiful town of Eton, just outside of London, um, on our new set. I'm really quite enjoying the set. I, I like it a lot. It's yeah. really quite comfortable. It's nice to do, look a bit different for a change, right? Yeah, absolutely. New season, new set, as I say. New season, new set. Also, it's not midnight. <laughs> No, it's not. It's the other end of the spectrum now. It's just really early. Yes, early mornings. <laughs> so you actually record early early in the morning um, today because I'm off on Hollybox tomorrow. Lazy. 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 Where are you going? Um, I'm going to Devon. Mm. Yeah, Devon, the English countryside. It's actually the first um, proper getaway in, I don't know, 18 months or something, two years almost. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's scary. Yeah, it should be good though. Yeah, it will. So the only problem I have is I'm I really don't know what to how to pack. I mean, I'm only going like how to pack. Do you know what I gave up on pack packing? And what I mean by that is that I ended up traveling so much all the time on mm. for work and for holiday and whatnot over the years that I thought, you know what, I'm not worrying about it anymore. Mm. What's the worst that could happen? There's only a couple of things you must remember: passport. Wallet, phone, and keys. Mm. Anything else you forget? Okay. Worst case scenario, I just buy it when I get out of there. See, the thing is, you know, my, my wife and I have very different mentalities when it comes to um, getting ready for a holiday. Really? Yeah. She basically wants us to pack today and then uh, put all the luggage in the car already, <laughs> right? Wow. So, all we've got to do is get up, make some coffee, you know, jump in our clothes, get in the car and leave. Okay, so um, I'm all for that, having stuff. I, I always make sure it's done the night before. Yeah. And so I literally just have toiletries and mm. coffee, car, go. I, I'm, I'm very different. Like in my, on my planet, I basically go, right, I've got 10 minutes to get in the car. Where's my suitcase? I'm just going to throw some stuff in there. That's it. And of course you forget half of what you need, but... You know, that's that's just part of that's a little too far the other way. I'm the night before, like late the night before, Mm. and that's that. Unless that's only if it's an early morning flight. If I'm not flying until the afternoon, I'm not going to do it until the day. See, the other thing is, we're going to you know we're going to stay in this lock cabin, Mm. Um, and it's not like you're going abroad either. No, exactly. (laughs) It's you know, um, and it's only a few days. I mean, it's not like a Mm. two week holiday or something. So we're staying in this lock cabin. Um, out in the out in the countryside, which would be really awesome. But of course, I've seen some some photos of the lock cabin, and immediately I'm thinking, you know, it's like a little porch, and nice. uh, and I'm thinking, I've got some really cool ideas, some cool photos there. So I'm packing all my lenses. You're so not going to be allowed. <laughs> I'm, I'm packing a strobe, you know, at least a softbox, you know, uh, and a sandbag and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, I was, I was actually I was mentioning that to my wife this morning, and she was like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've got some really good ideas." You're you're so not going to be allowed. <laughs> yes, you know, you're going to pack it. All. None of it's going to come out. I guarantee it. <laughs> well, well, well. You know, I've got a I've got a great idea. I mean, actually, the 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 cabin is situated in such a way that if if and the weather should be good over the next few days, mm-hmm. you know, if we get a really amazing sky 
I can see a really cool photo coming on that. Oh, for sure. So yeah. So I want to be prepared. So definitely, definitely need a strobe. Definitely. You Do know. you use gradient filters by any chance? No, not really. You no. don't? No. No, I don't. I don't. There's a lot of sense in them. Oh, for sure. One hundred percent. It's just one of those things you always forget and get lazy with using, I think, even if you've got well, them. Well, I mean, see, the thing for me is, you know, I'm not really much of a landscape photographer. No, no. Um, I was thinking about getting into filters and gradient filters and, you know, um, different like big stoppers and whatever, uh, when I was sort of getting mentally ready to go into Canada last year, um, because I really wanted to up my, my landscape photography game, as we don't discuss this yeah. I'm on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I was thinking about, all right, I need to get into filters and just, um, you know, get to grips with that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, under normal circumstances, with the exception of a variable ND filter, mm-hmm. um, I don't really use filters, no. uh, only for video, of course, but generally, like, yeah, photo, I mean, occasionally, maybe, but not really. No, no. It's cause I've just been thinking about this recently, because, you know, I'm uh, heading down to see my friend in uh, Plymouth, probably August, yeah. September time to hopefully do some a bit more landscape style stuff for over the course of a few days. Um, I've been thinking, I should probably invest in one. It might be useful while I'm down there, um, particularly if it's bright during the day. Actually get some blues in the sky rather than white. (laughs) Well, I mean, it just depends on how you expose. I mean, there's absolutely, I mean, there's a lot to be said for getting all that stuff um, in camera. Um, You know, but again, you know, different horses for different courses, you know, if that's your thing. I mean, the same thing, were we talking about the, uh, what is it called? The blue mist filter? A dark black. mist, black mist filter, that's right. Were we talking about that last, last week? I remember that. We didn't, no. Yeah. So the black mist filter um, is, is actually a filter I've been looking at recently, uh, very seriously, because I just, um, I've been, awesome. yeah, so I've been, I've been doing some experimenting with different gels and stuff. Um, and I just like the way that kind of broadens out the light source. Yeah. And um, and it kind of adds some atmosphere into into the. You get the different levels um, of those filters, and so right now I'm using a, a one eighth um, black mist filter on on this right now. What you're what you're looking at at the minute, and that doesn't do a lot. Mm. But what it does do, and this is the reason I went for one eighth, is if you look at um, skin with right. it on, <clears throat> and the same shot without it on. It adds a slight smoothness to skin that you don't get otherwise. So is that a direct effect of higher resolution cameras though? Might be. Right. Might be. Might be. I am going to get um, invest in um, probably a quarter um, as well mm. so that you do get those highlights bloomed a bit, a bit more. Yeah. And you can stack them as well and they work in conjunction quite nicely, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a, a nice little touch. If you really want an effect, you've then got three quarters where it will go. Yeah. yeah. But that that's actually how, you know, in film in particular, that's a it's a big deal on how you get that kind of film. That kind look. of film noir look. And yeah. that's, that's what I always think about, yeah. you know, like the black and white with the, like, yeah. the massively boomed out. Absolutely. Like, like, and it's stuff. very easy to overdo it yeah. and for it to look incredibly unnatural. But if you... If you just finesse it just yeah. right, wonderful. It's yeah. a great filter to have. And you can do it in post as well with a slightly different effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can do it in post so as What well. are the different like strengths that you get when it comes to that? I think you can get um, you can get eighth, quarter, um, half, and a full. Right, okay. um, I want to say stop. 
but I'm not sure that's actually what they call them. But they're right. the, the kind of levels that they do it in. Okay. Um, so yeah, so this is a, a one eighth um, that I'm using right now. Does that mean it makes my skin look super smooth? It will make my skin look super smooth. No. But you're just, I'm sorry, you're too far gone. I'm weathered. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm joking. Because if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, then you're going to have to hop over to YouTube to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it will come across on YouTube as well, but um, perhaps after we're, we're done today, we'll sh shoot just a few seconds without that filter on. All oh, right, okay. In exactly the same setup, and we can have yeah. a little side-by-side -side comparison. Okay. Yeah, that'd be nice. Very nerdy. but Very nerdy. Awesome. But we're all good with nerds. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of filters, that's... um. That's really, uh, that's really the only filter I've, I've looked into recently. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy long exposure uh, imagery. Um, you know, that, and I know a lot of people who use like big stoppers, for example, like, you know, 10, like um, a 10 times ND or 10 stop ND filter. Um, that sort of thing. You know, you can get this really smooth, either smooth cloud movement or really smooth um you know, surfing the sea or something like that. Yeah. You know, that could look cool if that's your, if that's your thing. And that is, it's just a particular look, isn't it? Um, you know, some, some of that stuff looks great. Some of it just looks so fake that it's like, I don't enjoy looking at it. It looks, enjoy looking at it all that much. Mm. But if it's done again, if it's done just right mm. in the right situation, looks fantastic. Yeah. Looks fantastic. You can't go wrong with it. Yeah, it always depends on, you know, what the main um, sort of focal point in the image is, like the main subject. Like it's, I've seen um, some images recently where you had like like a pier going out on the sea and then there'd be like a little, almost like a little lighthouse at the end of it, um, like a little sort of wooden tower sticking out of the sea. Yeah. And just by smoothing out the actual sea, at least for black and white shots as well. Uh, you know, what happens is it draws all of your attention to yeah. that main subject. There's no yeah. distraction. And that's, I do like that. That's, Absolutely. That's, um, you know, that's really cool. But that's but, a nice subtle use of it. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, you get those where it's just so long that it's like, oh. my God, is there any break in that water? And it's just, but again, it's just yeah. an effect and it looks yeah. great. It can look really, really good. Yeah. So yeah, filter's this interesting thing. Not really something um, I've, you know, I've had to use because I mean, typically for the kind of stuff that I do, I don't really need filters. No, yeah. no, that's very true. So, um, um, apart from the the standard UV filter, like the piece of glass you just basically put in front of your lens just to protect it, you know. But then, of course, there's the argument as to you know why would you put a cheap piece of glass in front of your really expensive lens and blah blah blah. And I get all that. That's all good. I don't you know. use them. Um, I just use them out of habit. I think there's really no other reason. Mm. I think when I first um, got into photography, you know, somebody said that was a good idea, and yeah. I believe them. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I have I have UV filters for all of my lenses, yeah. um, and they're just permanently on there. I mean, I guess the advantage is that you don't get any dust. Yeah, for sure. Whatever, you know, so. For sure. But other than that, um, there's no real reason. It's so, like the um, the old GoPros, like my uh, my old Hero Five. It has a waterproof housing. Oh yeah, as part of it, it's part of the camera, but you can take the front lens cap off, mm. and Naively, when I first got it, I left that on because it's like, okay, it's part of the, mm. the thing. I'm sure they've designed it in such a way that you shoot with it, it is what it is. But only when you take that front off, you realize what an awful piece of plastic they put in front. <laughs> yeah. It is not good. It looks horrendous. Yeah. And as soon as you take it off, it's, you've got the actual element, uh, glass element there. And it's like, oh, well, there is a bit of clarity in it. Okay, <laughs> great. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Cheap piece of plastic. Yeah. 
Well, what else is new this week? Um, well, we've been in another Ferrari shoot. Mm. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, that was good fun. That was yeah. that was, a, that was really good fun. Yeah. Really, really good fun. Bit of video, some cool photos. Yeah. Um, and we still got a bit more to do um, on that one to get that ready. Yeah, true. I mean, it, that was like a, a combination um, photo and video shoot, really. Mm. So we, what, part of it was we created um, an environmental portrait of yeah. um, the the owner of the car and the car itself. <clears throat> and I think, and it, you know, the, the venue or the the location was um, a workshop, mm-hmm. for the lack of a better word. Yep. Um, and so when, when we came in, and this is like one of these things where you don't really, because we didn't really, well, we had a few images just to get an idea, you know, beforehand as to what, what the location was going to look like. Um, but we hadn't seen the location before no. we before we rocked up to and the And it didn't look how I expected it to look, even no, from exactly. photos. No, exactly. And this, yeah. is, this is one of, the, one, of these, um, one of these things where, you know, it does pay off to actually go and see the location mm-hmm. before you actually shoot. But for a variety of reasons, it wasn't possible this time around. Um, and it's, it's a good uh, indication as to what, you know, sometimes you look at an image of something and you get an idea in your head. And then when you actually turn up, it turns out to be quite different. Yeah. And, and yeah, what yeah. I didn't realize, because in the pictures, it looked really quite clean, you know, clean walls, you know. Um, and so I thought, you know, I had an idea in my mind as to what we could do in that location. But then when we actually rocked up, it turns out there were loads of tools that you couldn't see in the original photos. Uh, but on one side of the um, of the workshop, there were lots of tools and like like a workbench and like you know, tool drawers and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of it was like covered in dust and it looked quite kind of gritty and everything. And immediately the image in my head changed completely. Mm-hmm. So really, in, you know, right there on the spot, I, I really changed what we were going to do in that uh, on that location with this particular shoot because all of a sudden we had all these props that yeah. we had access to. And so what I had originally intended to be almost like a, almost like a luxury car shoot, you know, turn into this, like, why don't we juxtapose this luxury car yeah. with some really yeah. gritty, dirty kind of mechanic type, you know, and give it that kind of, that sort of slightly dirtier look. And so, and then we found an old, Dusty overall. <laughs> yes, we did, <laughs> and uh, and that was uh, that was hilarious. So I mean, it, yeah. So it went from originally being like you know a well dressed model, i.e., the owner of the car, you know, in front of this expensive car, to why don't we just get him into this overall and make it look like you know he's in this in this dusty old workshop, yeah. like working on this car, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's an important thing for people to learn and realize that you can plan everything in advance of exactly what you're going to do, where you're going to be. But when you get there, you just need to be flexible enough to go, hmm, okay, actually, this is going to be better. Yeah. Let's let's work that. And and that, yeah. You you just don't want to be too rigid. You know, you want to be open to what the situation presents, right? Exactly. I mean, this, I think the, the word better is, is exactly, that is the point because it's a, obviously it's a really good idea to have a preconceived plan in mind before Absolutely. you turn up, especially at, at the location. 
you know, especially because there's so many factors that come together. I mean, you know, the owner of the car, the car was there. We had the workshop for a limited amount of time. So it wasn't like, you know, we could just happily shoot away. Mm -hmm. You know, there were no time constraints or whatever. Um, So all of these factors have to come together to create this shoot. But this wasn't a commercial shoot in the sense that we had, you know, discussed the concept. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the owner had signed or, you know, the owner of the car had signed off on that and all that. We just changed it uh, right there and then. That was more of a thing like where we said like, okay, we're just going to, you know, we've got this idea, you know, we're going to create this image. Um, It's, it's, it was more or less a test shoot. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and then when we turned up and we saw all of these extra props there, we just came up with a better idea. And then, you know, obviously we had to go and execute that because it, it did actually make for a better picture. And to be honest, the final image that we came out with, um, it just turned out to be so much better than than what I had imagined from the start. Exactly. And uh, we will see the image here. If I remember to insert it when editing. <laughs> no, I will. I will. <laughs> I will send it over to you. <laughs> yeah, this is one of these uh, one of these times when it really pays off to be flexible. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't exactly like you know we turned up and we didn't we didn't know what to shoot because I had you know worked something out before, but. Again, yeah, it was just a, a an opportunity that presented itself, really. Yeah, and it's being confident enough to be able to change. Yeah. You know, you know, the reality is is that technically how the shoot was done probably didn't change all that much. The technical no, aspects true. of it yeah. was probably very, very similar. Yeah. The, the real, f- it was the scene that was going to be there, and being able to, you know, as three quarters of the battle right there is what the scene looks like, what yeah. the model's actually going to be doing, um, where the car's actually going to be positioned. Yeah. We end up shooting the back of the car yes. rather than the front, front which front, would yeah. have been the in, uh, original intention with the yeah, correct, for the yeah. portrait. Mm. And it's, you know, it's them being, okay, how, how do we work this space? How do we make these items now work work together? Yeah. And oh, I mean, again, you know, we've, we've spoken about this um, on this podcast um, in the past, but it's the set dressing at the beginning, you know, the, what makes this photograph is the actual situation that you find the person in, mm-hmm. the subject in, um, and the car. And so spending a lot of time dressing the set and getting the set right to look right is ultra, ultra important. Yeah. And so people are often surprised when, you know, when they realize, well, actually the set dressing part took like two hours, or two and a half hours or whatever. The actual shoot only took 20 minutes. Yeah. It's because once yeah. you've got, once you've got the set, and all the little details in in the place where you want it to be. Um, And once you've got the lighting dialed in, then directing the subject, if you've got any experience in directing people, that in itself is relatively quick. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. So so in this particular case, I mean, that's literally what it was. It took like two hours, two and a half hours to dress everything, get everything in place, move things around, try out a few things, light the whole thing. get Gary into the overall <laughs> without his slippers on. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then the, yeah, the shooting portion of it was, was done relatively quickly. Yeah, it yeah. was. Lighting was interesting on this one. Um, it was a combination of flash and, um, uh, constant light, wasn't it? Yeah. And that was also just because I, but that was again, just a moment that had to be worked out on yeah. there and there and then. You know, yeah, because the original intention was uh, for it to be actually just a one light setup, um, 
and I had thought about packing another strobe because you normally would, I would normally have at least two or three lights. I'm in the car, but for some reason on this particular day, um, I just forgot to pack them. So yeah. we literally, there was a lot to think strobe. about, about what to get there for yeah. this particular shoot. Yeah. So it was a lot of gear we took, but you know, in any event, it was a one, you know, so it turned, it started with the idea of it being a one light, uh, kind of setup. But uh, we then thought, well, actually, there was a particular part of the car that I wanted to light separately. And, um, and so we had to combine it with uh, some constant light. And then, of course, photographically, a number of things changed. First of all, you know, your shutter speed has to change dramatically because this is the one, the major difference between uh, shooting with constant light as opposed to strobes is that with constant light, you're shooting at a much, much, much lower shutter speed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, and this is only my personal opinion, and I know there are lots of photographers out there who like shooting people with, with constant light and all the rest of it. But you really, with constant light, you have two options. Either you crank the ISO or you lower the shutter speed. That's yeah. basically it. Or you shoot so wide open, you know. Um, but in this particular case, the situation was, you know, the scene was relatively deep, um, so we were limited in terms of um, aperture. Um, there was a human in the in the picture, so you had to contend with some movements. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like shooting still life. Um, and although we were on a tripod, so you, there's something you can do with the shadow speed, but you can't go too crazy. Um, and what did you settle on in the end? Hundred? Um, it was about yeah. It was actually around about hundred, eighty or hundred, something mm-hmm. like that. And then, um, um, and then, yeah, and you know, you can balance that with the strobe. That's all cool, but you have to really look at the um, the constant light part of it because if your shutter speed is too high then you're not going to really see very yeah. much of that um if it's too low then you're going to run into a problem um with your model um, and movement um and if you crank your iso up too high then you get a problem with noise in the image and because it was a fairly large um scene that was also very busy you kind of want to try and keep the noise to a minimum if yep. you can so which is why normally i would always slide a scene like that with strobes no question because then I can control all these things and I can have them where I want them to be. However, in this particular case, we had to kind of balance it off, but it did work, it did work out quite well. I mean, the constant light, essentially what we did was um, we focused um, a, a constant light on the engine part of the, mm-hmm. um, well, the, the, the engine hood, which in, in this particular Ferrari is obviously the back of the car. Uh, but I just want to get a little bit of light on that just to get a little bit of a tiny little bit more detail in there. Um, and yeah. All and that had, um, and that was using, a ref- there was a reflector on the front of it and this was using the 300D. Yeah. And that was maxed out. Right, it was a full power. I mean, but it just goes to show how, you know, how much more powerful the strobe yeah. is uh, when it comes to lighting a scene. And the thing is, it was bright in that room too. So that did, none of this helps. And I had, I've looked back at some of the footage since mm. and because of the, the window, Oh, the lights kind of that were in the in yeah. the ceiling. There was nothing we could do about that, and we just had to work with it. Yeah. Um, some of you can see when it's going cloudy and sunny, and the exposure is changing huge, hugely on the on a yeah. lot of that. So that's going to be fun to contend with. And that's uh, that is again that's one of the reasons why I, I prefer to shoot with strobes because I can just cut all of that yeah um, environmental yeah. light out completely yeah. and just then control it. And if you're in a studio, that's a lot simpler to do, isn't it? If you're using constant, but yeah, except for my studio where I have this annoying you... skylight. 
It's just really so idiotic, this thing. Oh, dear. Yeah. But, um, it seemed like a good idea when we when we built that book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Lessons learned, lessons learned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, I would have to find a more but, permanent. But it's a multi-purpose space as well at the same time. So yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, absolutely. There's got to be compromise. Oh, and, you know, generally speaking, the light in there is really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got one wall, which is essentially glass, um, or big, you know, glass French doors, and then, then the skylight over the top of it, um, and then a north-facing window. So the, the light as it is in this space is actually really nice. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do, um, you know, uh, top-down kind of product shoots or whatever, you can actually do that with just with window light in there yeah. because it's, it's perfect for that. Um, and any time between, I'd say, September and March, you don't really have a problem with the skylight because over here in the UK, you know, the sky is usually overcast um, and you'll never have any issues. But in the summertime, so for late spring and summer, the sun is higher up in the sky and then you get you get really harsh light coming through the skylight and that's when you have to yeah. start blocking it off. Yeah. So at the moment I have, because um, I haven't found a blackout blind for that skylight yet. Um, I've, <laughs> I've made this, this contraption out of poster board, which... Um, <laughs> sits on the roof <laughs> that's the trick though isn't it that's the trick yeah yeah so <laughs> it's a little bit of a pain but hey yeah well that needs the, must that's the diy part of it yeah so yeah but yeah um so that was a cool shoot Good and shoot. the video part of it we can talk about a little bit yeah that was um that was interesting to do that um you know because We've gone in um, thinking that we want to do a cinematic style um, sequence for 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 this particular car, um, and obviously we we only had the opportunity for it to be stationary in this yeah. on this particular day, and so that involved a lot of a lot of close up shots, um, almost exclusively filmed in at 120 frames. Mm. Um, uh, so. It's, Lovely slow-mo if we want it, mm. can speed it up if we want that to. Um, so there's an awful lot of close-ups. I had an issue, though, which I wasn't anticipating quite, and that was focusing. And now this might be, partly be with the 35mm oh. lens that I was using because yeah. it's a macro lens. It does every so often has a bit of an issue focusing, and if it was on a different lens, I think it would have been slightly better. Okay. But generally... It had a lot of issues focusing on the red shiny uh, paint, okay. and you know there's zero contrast there. There's nothing going on. Yeah. But as soon as you got a detail popping in, it yeah. started to go. Ah, okay, right, I can focus, yeah. and it pulled in, and it was fine. But that was a it was a pain, and it, also when you're at 120 frames as well, it it, it takes longer to focus or mm. um, to focus if you're down at 25 or whatever. Fine, it's a lot quicker. So Canon have introduced eye focus and animal eye focus, and I think bird's eye focus. Yeah. So what we need now is Ferrari focus. Ferrari focus. Yeah. Come on, Canon. Car paint. Get focus. your game together. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Car paint focus. That's it. So yeah, um, it it was good though. There was one moment which was uh, hazardous to my health. Yeah. And it was just at the end, we um, decided to just get a quick moving away shot from behind, mm-hmm. right? 
and that meant starting the car up because we wanted to get the exhaust moving and the lights coming on yep. and then moving away. So I was, you know, 30, on the 35, so I was probably three foot behind the car, mm. something like that, four foot, five foot, I don't know, something like that. And so I was shooting there. The car started up. And do you know what happened to me? Your ears got blown off. Well, aside from that, <laughs> do you know what happened? I got all of the air from the exhaust mm-hmm. shooting straight into my face. Oh, no. And fuel spitting on me that as well. Great. Yeah, that that was Brilliant. fun. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I won't do that again quite well, like that, that. I mean, the other thing I, I completely <laughs> neglected to think about was really just the noise that that engine makes. I mean, that's oh, in that's relentless. In that enclosed space as well, it felt mm-hmm. even louder. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it sounds cool, but it does blow your yeah. brains out, really. Yeah, it really does. It really, really so. does. Um, so left to do on that really is I definitely want to get an afternoon with him again, just to shoot a few more um, out and about scenes. Yeah. Um, nothing drastic, just a handful of shots that all work to to add in. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but the, the, from a storyline point of view, I think the thing that was really quite interesting about this particular video project was that it's um, it was almost like an origin story mm-hmm. um, of how. Um, of of how he came to own this car, which is quite interesting, and the reasons behind it, um, which you know, which kind of just adds a little bit more um, dimension to the whole thing, uh, because you know, this it's the human story behind yeah. the car in a, in a way. So, um, so I found that was a good lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, it was, and you know, there's, he he talks um, about um his his dad a lot in it as well and yeah. you know so when we do go out and get some shots i want to get some shots with his dad too just a little bit just to right. add to the story but um yeah unfortunately none of that was possible on the day yeah that's okay that's okay we'll just shoot shoot again yeah i'm right. shooting always always all right shooting a ferrari <laughs> that's very true yeah it was, it was good fun for sure um yeah so that was uh that was last week's yeah event yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was cool. It was fun. And um, other than that, I'm out for a week. Yeah. Off to Holly Bobs. There you go. Lazy. Exactly. Lazy. That's lazy. It. Lazy. And I'm stuck here editing. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, there have been some really interesting stories mm. um, in, the, you know, in, in the world of photography news um, this week that I've come across which I thought we should probably cut into. Let's do it. The first one, I kind of thought will sort of affect you directly mm-hmm. because it's, it's a story about Amazon deliveries gone wrong. There's a story every other day about Amazon. Well, doing... <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so in this particular story, um, a couple from Colorado, uh, wedding photographers, um, spent seven grand, seven US dollars, uh, seven? Seven US dollars, seven thousand dollars on a brand new Sony Alpha One. Um, now, the package arrived only for them to realize that it contained nothing but empty boxes. Um, and after getting in touch with the Amazon um, customer service, they were told that there was nothing else that could be done, and they were going to be disconnected. Um, so they refused to refund. Uh, emailed. Mr. Bezos directly, and uh, and only after that uh, they managed to get a refund. Now, that in itself is, I mean, of course, that's questionable customer service, first of all. Yeah, but 
shocking customer service. The fact that uh, you know, the, the fact that you would get or that you would receive an empty box would suggest that potentially somebody would have nicked your gear. Yeah, somewhere in transit. Yeah. Um, is that is that something that happens a lot with Amazon? Or? Um, well, I should probably clarify. So I used to work for Amazon. Um, uh, for That's precisely what we're talking about. For, for yeah, for fifteen for, for a very long time, fifteen years I worked for them, and mm. nearly all of that time as part of um, transaction risk, which is in layman's terms fraud prevention. Mm. So all of this stuff actually came through our department right. all the time. Stuff like this. Mm. Um, so uh, it doesn't happen a lot, no. But the trouble is, and you can never know. I can't really say much on it because. Every situation is very, very different. Mm. Um, you know, there's if you imagine how many touch points there are, yeah. stuff like this could happen anywhere. I mean, somebody could just basically take a, take a photo of an empty box and then claim it was empty. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. it could be. I'm not yeah. saying that's what happened in this case, but I mean, it's, yeah. theoretically, it's possible. Absolutely, of course, it's possible. Anything is possible mm. if you think about it. You know, it could from the person receiving the item could have done exactly what you just said yeah. the delivery driver somewhere in the delivery hub you know maybe it wasn't delivered by amazon maybe it went by dhl or yeah. um, royal mail or any other one that they, they're currently using um you know something could have happened in you know prior to the item even arriving at amazon and it mm. you know it, who knows who knows there's so yeah. many touch points what is really shocking it but this stuff happens with any company but no it's it true. gets widely reported because amazon are Amazon, yeah. and they take more orders than God. I can't think how many tens or hundreds of times more orders than any other company they take. So these issues will happen yeah. more often. It's just it's just numbers, right? It's yeah. just stuff like this. How it works. But what really shocked me more about this story is that, it, from what we heard, that they were simply just refused a refund by customer service. Yeah or any further investigation into actually what has gone on here. Mm. And Amazon pride themselves on customer service. So I'm, you know, again, these things happen with CS all the time yeah. with every, everybody. So it could simply be a new agent. It could be someone who didn't really understand the situation well enough and mm. made a quick decision where they shouldn't have done. Yeah um who knows it could have also have gone through their entire escalation process there and they've yeah. been refused the order we don't know we're hearing one side of the story yeah so we don't know that actually they may have gone through all of this process yeah. and still deemed that actually i'm sorry nothing has gone wrong here because you know for want of a better phrase we don't believe you so the, the thing there um that that really you know sparked my interest was the fact that they didn't emailed mr bezos himself yeah. Um, is that a common thing? I mean, because after that email, yeah. apparently things started moving and were eventually able to get a refund. Yeah. So is that like a common thing that like, you know, people email yeah. him happens all directly? The, all the, happens all the time. Really? Okay. Yeah. Happens all the time. And I'll, I'll mention a bit more about this because it's widely reported everywhere yeah. about it anyway. Um, does he have like a particular PA that just picks up these kind of emails or does he actually re read no, those? he does, does it himself. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he, you know, and he'll he'll send it out. And if he, he will say something if he truly thinks this doesn't feel right at all. I want this really looked into, right. and and he'll make sure that it's really looked into. Mm. Equally, if he's what, just please handle this, and and it'll it'll go down. So where um, 
it's this type of issue that also came through my area um, at the time as well. And they, yeah, they're called Jeff Escalations. Oh, really? Simple okay. as that. That's all they are. Um, and yeah, and it's expected that this is looked into in great detail and a full report sent mm. back to him as to what, what happened, what went wrong, um, what the result is, and if there was an error on Amazon's part, how it's going to tell us exactly how it's not going to happen again. Right. Okay. And put something in place and underway right away to yeah. correct it. Well, he it, takes this stuff very, very seriously. Well, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, to hear that from like somebody on the inside, really, because I think it's 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 easy to to get into the kind of Amazon bashing type of game. Yeah. Because that's one of the things you hear all the time. But of course, nobody really knows what's actually going on behind the scenes. No. Um, no. So that's, you know, that's quite cool. Um, Personally, I've never really had a problem with with Amazon deliveries at all. Um, I've had issues with other deliveries in the past, yeah. you know. Um, but I have to say, I don't think I've had a couple. But then I've ordered. I don't know how many thousands of orders I've placed on Amazon over the years, but a couple have gone. I've had a couple of issues. As, as an ex-employee, do you get free delivery? <laughs> no, <laughs> or like. You know, Prime for no, life or something. No, <laughs> oh, man, that's no, you don't. What? No, you don't. You don't get any of that. You get oh. a small employee discount of, uh, I mean, it ranges between 5 and 10%. Right. And that's only so much a year. And the reason it's so low is because the margin on them on every item is so tiny anyway yeah. that that's all they can, that's all there is. Yeah. That's all, all the space there is. That's why Amazon, you know, it's because Amazon prices are so generally yeah. So much cheaper than anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was another case actually, uh, which is sort of goes down, goes along, you know, to the same sort of lines. Um, there was this very well-known YouTuber who reportedly um, bought a Canon 1DX and then opened the box and found a box full of rocks initially, then managed to, you know, organize a, a resend or like a refund or whatever and they send him another box which then contained bricks so how does that happen that's like you know you kind of go well okay if you get if you get a box with rocks or bricks then like deliberately like somebody must have put that stuff in there deliberately yeah somewhere along the line it again this stuff happens mm -hmm. and amazon get targeted for stuff like this because they're so customer centric if you like yeah. um they will always refund people. They just always have. They've always been like, if you've ever contacted them for a refund or a return, yes, it's almost no quibble, right? I've never had a problem with refunds. Ever, you know? actually, yeah. And they've always done that. So, um, you know, in general, when I've heard of this stuff happening before, it's, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. Um, in general, when I've heard of this stuff before, it's, it's the person who's said that they've received that, who's, right done it right okay so that's Generally. like a, that's a genuine like case of fraud then though yeah yeah oh yeah so stuff like that's in there yeah yeah and i'm sure um, that happens you know there's, sure. there's many again there's many different ways and places that could happen you know return someone returning something and trying to make it the same way because they they'll know that amazon will weigh the package right to make sure that's yeah. you know and it just wasn't checked as far that one particular item didn't get checked quite as thoroughly when it came back mm. It could easily be that. And then it's yeah. gone back out in error. Yeah. That could have happened. But this, this, I think, you know, what people tend to forget in this is that there are so many people in in that whole supply chain. Right. That human error can, I mean, yeah. it's just likely to happen 
Absolutely. All, you know, along the way Absolutely. at some point. So, uh, and with an operation as, as large as Amazon, there's just a chance of, of especially human error creeping in just generally is, is much higher than if you're looking at a much smaller operation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's what I mean. You know, the, Amazon are probably taking a thousand times more orders than the next closest competitor oh, yeah, sure, every, yeah. every minute. Especially over the last year or so. Especially over the last you know, year. I just think about my own behavior and like how many, how many Amazon deliveries. Yeah we've had over the last like i don't know 14 months or something it's been nuts do you know what the scary thing is it's haven't been earning for a year basically mm. yeah i spent more <laughs> in the last year well just because i've been at home it's like oh a little bit of shopping all right oh, oh i'll just yeah. get that i'll just get that yeah it's yeah. fine <laughs> well you know i mean we've been quite good actually i think generally speaking um we've also managed to kind of get rid of a lot of um you know overheads like you know we got rid of one car, for example, and changed, right. you know, changed yeah. stuff over. So that's that's definitely made a dent on our um, monthly outgoings mm. um, from here on in. And because we're, you know, we're not changing back to owning two cars anytime soon, that'll be a cost saving that's going to carry on. So yeah, you know, that's definitely made yeah. uh, made an impact. Um, so yeah, and the other funny story I came across um, was the story of this uh, Liverpool based. Drug dealer, right? <laughs> uh, it's one. always got to be good if drug dealers mentioned in it and someone oh got So get this right. So this this guy took a picture of some Stilton cheese, which if you're not from the UK, you know Stilton cheese is like a blue cheese. It's like mm -hmm. a moldy kind of a cheese, mm -hmm. right? It's very smelly. Yeah, and some people love it. Personally, I'm like, nah. okay, you need to sort your taste buds out. Yeah, it's, it's not fantastic. My, it's, it's not my favorite cheese. It's, I mean. I like it in like a, like a sauce almost. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. But Ivy steak. Yeah, Ivy mm. steak. Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely. Totally perfect. I love blue cheese until it gets so strong that you can actually taste the mold as mold. Right. Well. And then it's like, oh, that's a bit furry. And I, <laughs> I think I draw the line right there. Yeah, can't be yeah. doing that. But, um, but so anyway, so he took, a, he took a photo of, of himself holding this block of Stilton cheese. So all you can see uh -huh. is the cheese and his hand holding it in the photo, right? And he put this on this uh, social media uh, platform, the social platform called Anchor Chat, which I've never actually heard of. It's apparently it's like a, a Europe-wide um, social platform, right? Okay. But the UK police have caught on to this particular platform because as it turns out, and maybe this has something to do with like end-to-end -end encryption, or I don't really know. Um, but apparently, so it turns out that the organized crime have used this platform to plan uh, criminal activities, right? And so the UK police were like, had like infiltrated this platform, um, and they found this photo. And from the photo itself, they managed to analyze the fingerprints, mm -hmm. and that way managed to identify this dude and track him down Amazing. and arrest him. So how amazing is that? That's great. The fact that, well, that just from an, let's call it an iPhone photo, yeah. that's being compressed and sent over social, that they can still pull enough, A, just pull enough detail full stop, oh, yeah, yeah. but to then pull it off an impression that's on some, a pack cheese packaging yeah yeah, yeah sure it's just I mean, amazing you can, yeah you can see his fingertips in it i mean that's the, that's the oh sorry they've pulled off his, off his fingers himself yeah, oh yeah, i see yeah. i see i see but i mean you know the thing is like how unfortunate for for the criminal as well that his yeah. love for cheese should have ended him 
<laughs> in jail. Amazing. It's like, what? Um, but I found that you know that was um that was quite that, that was quite remarkable. I mean, it's not the first time I guess that you know a photograph has led to somebody's no. No. prosecution. Um, but uh, it's certainly the first time I've heard of uh, you know police identifying um, fingerprints. Certainly, um, that's been reported yeah. like that. It's, it's very um, CSI, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it is very CSI. No. We should talk to Banger about this. We should. Yeah, I was just absolutely. thinking the same. That is uh, so. If you, you know, if you're new to this podcast, um, some some months ago we uh, we had a guest on the show, Banger, who is a real life CSI, yeah, um, crime crime scene photographer, and he's been doing it for a long time as well, yeah, hasn't he? Absolutely. Mm. So that'll be. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of topic uh, right there, you know, head back and check out that episode um, because that's really interesting. But yeah, so that was that was another story. What else in the photography news this week then? Um, well, we spoke about Amazon. They're based in Seattle, right? Yes. There was a another Seattle story, wasn't there? Um, where um, a street photographer was out just minding his own business, taking photos, but started to take a photo and but took a photo of um, a a woman who was. You know, walking down the street, basically, or in the park, or wherever it she was. She was riding her. She was riding her scooter, I think. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. riding the scooter. Yeah, and she was very unhappy about this and started shouting and all mm. sorts at him to delete it. And he, you know, he explained, "Hey, I'm just, I'm a street photographer. This is what I do." And mm. uh, and that's that. But he said, "Okay, I'm sorry if you know if you're if you're not happy about this, I'll I'll delete it." So he went ahead and deleted the photo. Right. Yeah, and she was filming him on her phone at exactly. the same time. So this is like a typical thing, of course, where you know you people feel like um, they're, de- they're being uh, wronged or something, and then start filming the whole scene on on their mobile phone. So she was very unhappy about him um, taking photos. I think what what came into it was that she was she, she's a nineteen year old girl, stroke woman. Um, the guy himself, the photographer um, in question, was in his fifties or sixties, potentially. Um, and so she basically thought it was creepy that there'd be a guy with a big lens taking photos of her. Well, um, in a public, in a public space. Yeah. So that was the other thing. Um, so she, yeah, she filmed the whole scene on, on her mobile phone and he on camera showed her the, the photos that he'd taken on the back of his camera uh, and then deleted them. But what happened next was the thing where I thought, like, whoa, hang on a second. Yeah, quite. So so she then took that video and put it on TikTok, you know, for, for her 200 and, I don't know, just over 200,000 um, followers to see. But then she also shared it with a local um, Seattle-based, like, local TikTok mm-hmm. account, which which kind of which added another 250, 300,000, whatever, um, followers to it. So basically she had a problem with him taking her photo in a public space, which is completely. So to the, completely to the best of our knowledge right now in the U S if you're in a public space, you can take photos. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So and it's not being a creep in any kind of creepy way, just taking photos or something like that. It's, you're a street photographer. Yeah. 90% of your subjects in there are going to be people. Yeah, right? so, I mean, it's and, kind of the point. And I mean, the legal, the legal justification of that is actually exactly the same over here in the UK. And that's basically, um, 
the assumption that if you're in a public space and you put yourself into a public space, then you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. Yeah. And, and in a sense, I mean, that's, that makes perfect sense. If you mm -hmm. decide to go out in, into a public street or something, then you can't reasonably expect to maintain your own privacy or privacy, right? Because, well, you just put yourself into a public space. So therefore, if you're a photographer, you can take photos in a public space. No problem. There's a caveat to that because like, for instance, you know, um, there was a case uh, fairly recently over the last few years or last year, I think, where um, a photographer took like uh, images of, uh, of, of, women, of women's boobs and behinds um, that went to court and the, the court had to also throw that out because these were taken in a public space. However, <laughs> however, there is, you know, th there's a sort of limitation on that nowadays, I think, where it comes to like obscene imagery and whatever else. So that, that crosses the line. Yeah, I mean, that crosses the line and that's all cool. But I think none of that was the case in this, no. in this case in Seattle, because he was literally just taking a picture of, um, you know, of a 19-year-old woman riding a scooter um, and lots of other people who were there, by the way. This wasn't, you know, he wasn't just taking pictures of her. So he didn't like follow her around or harass her or anything like that. He was just, you know, sat in this spot taking pictures of people walking past and probably the scenery or whatever else. So anyway, she had a problem with that. She filmed the whole thing and then put it on TikTok. But so my issue with that is like, well, what a double standard. That's just yeah. how, you know, it's like, you don't want somebody to take pictures of you, but then you don't have a problem with like yeah. filming that person and putting it onto your TikTok when you've actually gotten him to delete his, yeah. his images in the first place. And not only putting the video up, but tagged it and or annotated on it, whatever you want to call it, yeah. as calling him a creep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's where I, ha that's where I start to have a real problem with mm -hmm. it. In street photography, just generally, when you're out there with your camera, you take pictures um, of people in the street. Some people will have an issue with that. That's fine. Usually, and there may be no legal justification for that, as in like, you know, you're in a public space, you're perfectly, um, legally, you're perfectly allowed, you're fine taking those pictures. But of course, you don't want to offend anybody. No. So if somebody comes up to you and you show them the pictures and they still want you to delete them and you delete them, then I think it's case closed and it's I all agree. good, right? Everybody should be happy. Um, but this just took it this extra step further. And that's where I started to have a problem with it. I agree. You yeah. Know, it's um, wrong. It's wrong to be like, you can be upset and you do exactly what you just said. Yeah. Ask them to delete it or look at it. And they go, oh, actually, it's really good. Can you send it to me? Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. You know, and there have been occasions in the past where, you know, I've ended up, you know, people asked me what I was doing. I showed them the, the photos, there'd be conversation, um, you know, and afterwards, you know, I would say like, you know, here's my card. Um, you know, if you want to give me your email address, um, or email me and I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm super happy to send you, um, a copy of the photo. No problem at all. You know, that's worked on occasion. So, you know, as long as, cause when you go out to, to photograph, you don't go out to offend people, No, you know, and you just want a good shot. Absolutely. That's yeah. It. You know, there's a, there's a reason for why there needs to be some freedom in my mind. Uh, when it comes to taking photographs of people in um, in public spaces, and you know, we can go into um, you know freedom of press 
and the freedom of reporting and stuff like that. All of that's really part of that whole discussion because mm -hmm. we need to, I think we need to be able to have an independent press and the press needs to have freedom to report, um, especially in public. And we're not talking about taking photos of, of uh, people on public land, uh, on, sorry, on, uh, on private land or in, in their private dwellings. That's a whole different thing. I mean, in the UK, actually, the law is such that if you are in the public space, let's say you stand on the street um, and you can see into somebody's living room through their window, you're actually legally allowed to take pictures of people in their living room when you yourself are in a public space. And that's a much more of a contentious kind of thing. I mean, you can question the morality, morality of that uh, to, and, to the death, but the yeah, law is the law, the law is what it is. is. And, you know, and we can agree with that or not. That's a different yeah. thing. But, I mean, there, there is a caveat. Again, if you are uh, climbing a tree in order to get access um, and, and get a line of view into somebody's living room, that's illegal. Yeah. So there are some limitations to that. But if you just stood in a street on a sidewalk, on a public street, and you can see into somebody's living room on the, you know, what we call the ground floor here and um, elsewhere, it's known as the first floor, mm -hmm. but that's a whole different, whole different <laughs> issue. Um, then you're legally allowed to do that. And there we are, you know, it's one of these things, mm. you know, it's, mm. that's like, uh, that's kind of the gray area in terms of morality. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, just coming back to this, this thing in Seattle, I mean, it's, I just, I'm just not cool with, you know, on one hand people, you know, wanting to maintain their privacy, but on this, at the same time, you know, they're, they're putting your whole life onto social media. So it's like, well, yeah. what's, you know, what's your privacy yeah. concern with that? Because yeah. all of a sudden you don't seem to have one anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's weird. And I guess, you know, just slightly defend defend her a little bit um we don't know if anything else happened prior to that video starting um maybe the, there might have been more conversation going on he may have refused may have this until until she started filming and then he could create oh right i better well, i mean true. who knows you yeah, don't know you, we could, but we're only going by what was on that 30 yeah, yeah, second video Absolutely. what, what sure. was there um yeah but yeah from based on that no, I'm not on board with it yeah, <laughs> at no. all. At all. That's it. So anyway, so let us know what you think um, about about this particular issue. It'd be really interesting to hear from you. Um, you know, send us send us a DM or um, send us an email. It, I'd be interested to see what mm. our listeners, absolutely, you know, stroke viewers, uh, think about this particular case. Um, cool. Now, we also thought about something else today because... We were discussing a number of things um, the other day uh, where we thought about, you know, so the 10 most common, most commonly made mistakes that especially beginner photographers mm. uh, make. And so we came up with a little list of different things that we think are like the, the top 10 most commonly made mistakes yeah. um, when, you know, people get into photography in the first place. I just real quick aside. I didn't realize you were a doctor. Am I? Yeah. What's that? The state of your handwriting. Oh, that's it's... doctor's handwriting. Oh, man. my it's... God. <laughs> my handwriting. Oh, my God. I tell you what, my handwriting has gone so down the drain ever since I first laid hand onto a computer keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly. Like, so, you know, I, I only say it because mine's worse, probably. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, my handwriting has deteriorated. I've actually, I mean, this is this is really um, why I use um, ink usually to, to write because it slows me down. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and my handwriting is, is considerably better since I started using, um, you know, ink, ink pens. But, um, but yeah, it's that's, that's definitely yeah. But you know, that's all I'm saying is I can't read any of that. Oh, my, my kids' handwriting is <laughs> even worse. So, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. of course, because they grew up, you know, using using keyboards. Yeah, true. Um, and you true. Know, touch screens and whatever. True. So, so yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. ten. You know. So what's your what's our number number one tip? Do you think? Or the number one mistake that that people make when they first get into photography? Uh, well, it would help if I could read on notes. <laughs> But I, I really can't read that. <laughs> I, I honestly cannot read a word that's written there. Okay, so I'll help you out with that. Then. So I think the number one thing um, that people <laughs> can't still can't read <laughs> um, it just says hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after, one of the things that I often uh, find that you know when, when I speak to people who, who just get into uh, photography is that there's um, almost like an unhealthy fixation on gear. Ah, yes. Okay. Oh, is that what that says? Okay, gear. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I find that's um, that's a very typical thing. You know, people tend to be concerned about, you know, which lens to use or which yeah. camera body to buy or, you know, um, w- whichever piece of gear they might feel that they need yeah. to uh, to create, you know, to create better images or to get better at photography. Yeah. Um, and that's simple when you're starting is forget about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, ignore it. It's a difficult thing to realize, I think, and to really get on board with when you're first starting out, because you always think like, well, clearly that other person's, that other photographer's images are better because they have a better camera yeah. or a better lens. You won't appreciate any of the ad- advantages of having a more expensive camera, quote unquote, until you're better at photography in general. You won't appreciate what yeah. that's really doing for you because you're not creating images in the in the best possible way yet if the way the simple way i think of it is if you can get a great photo with a again quote unquote rubbish camera cheap camera whatever you want to call that Mm. you're going to get a stunning photo with a more expensive camera well although in my in my case it actually uh, it went exactly the the opposite way so when i i remember buying my first dslr um and my photography went downhill very rapidly uh, because i just wasn't able to to make use of that camera and ah, okay, you know, right, and, and, thing, and thing, the thing there was that I really didn't understand um, a lot of the sort of basics at that point. You know, I remember like I had really no idea about aperture or like you know the effect that ISO has on on your image, and all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of you're going like, oh, okay. Uh, because the, the thing is, the reality is, when you have your camera on auto, you know, or in auto mode, it doesn't really matter very much. As to which camera you're using, because your end result is always going to mm-hmm. be pretty much the same, you know. Um, and so I found that, you know, with my first DSLR, initially my images were considerably worse than images I took just with my phone at the time, you know. Okay. Or or with a much considerably cheaper camera, because I remember I had like a Canon point and shoot there. I said it. I used to have a Canon. Um, and you know, and those images were okay. Actually, I mean, they were perfectly well exposed. You know, I didn't make any decisions in, yeah. you know, in, in taking the photo. I would have pointed it at something and pressed a button and the camera did 
everything else. Um, and then I remember like, getting my first DSLR thinking, okay, surely the same must be the case. But as soon as you move out of auto, you know, you find yourself um, in front of a whole lot of problems, really. Because And that's, that's really where sort of basic knowledge of photography really comes in yeah. handy. And um, I find this today. I have like a, you know, a, a second body um, that I use, but that I don't use it very often nowadays, but it's the second body that I have in my back pretty much all the time, just as a backup. Um, it's an APS-C sensor body. So it's a much cheaper uh, camera, uh, but it fits the same lenses. Um, well, or you can use the same lenses on there. So it's, it's a good alternative just in case something goes wrong with my main body. Um, but it's, in, in, you know, for the lack of a better term, it's kind of a much lower quality amateur grade Mm-hmm. Type of you know type of camera, but I guarantee you I can get the same quality of images out of that yep. out of that thing because actually the sensor is okay in it, um, and it's all about how you use the gear that that you have, you know. So I think in the beginning, it's easy to get sidetracked by focusing on on gear rather than focusing on actually getting better at photography. Absolutely, you know, and that new lens, that new one point four. Or one point two, forget prime it. lens isn't going to do that for you. Exactly, you know exactly. I went through a very staged learning process with camera mm. settings. Let's say you know, um, and that was you know, starting auto in program, whatever it's called on the whatever camera you actually have, and just shoot with it. Focus on your composition. Focus on you know how you frame whatever it is you're taking a photo of. Focus on where light is coming from. You know, don't worry about flash and things like that yet. Just use natural light. Just start using the camera and keep your hands on it all the time. So you get used to having this, what feels quite alien at first, mm. thing in, in, in your hand. And once you've done that for a while and you're starting to get, you're finding that feeling a bit more natural, I moved out of auto and then into um, uh, aperture priority right. with ISO set to auto. So the only thing that I was changing was the aperture. So I could learn what aperture does oh, yeah. and how that affects the image that I'm looking at. So, you know, we won't go into what aperture, there's no need to go into all of that right now, but that's what I did. Then I would switch to shutter priority yeah. and do exactly the same thing and learn how shutter affected the image. And, you know, everything else was taking care of itself because everything else yeah. was auto. Um, and then move ISO out of um, auto and go back to aperture priority and shutter priority and start manipulating both. Now I understood mm. what, what they were doing and see how ISO would affect that image. Mm. And then I take all that off and then move to manual and start yeah. trying to put it all together in my own head and start working out how to do what I needed to do yeah. for the particular shot that I was trying to take. And that's kind of the stepped process I went through to try and learn um, all those, you know, your primary settings on, on yeah. the camera. Now, because the thing, you know, that comes in there is, is that, that basic definition of what makes a better photo, because I mean, generally speaking, you can kind of break photography up into two basic elements and you've got the technical element. Yeah. Um, that's all, you know, the choice of aperture, the choice of shutter speed, all that kind of stuff, all the technical kind of thing. And then you've got the creative part. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, if you, for instance, if you take comp- take composition, for example, like how you place things in the frame, um, 
back composition is back composition. It doesn't yeah. really matter. You know, you can use the correct aperture on that or not. It doesn't matter because it's still a bad photo as in it's, the composition is still bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the technical element of it, this is what, what I always try and bring across is the fact that, you know, mastering the technical component of photography is actually, a, that's a given mm-hmm. for any photographer. I mean, as a, you know, that's just a given like we're using a tool, it's a bit like a carpenter learning how to use a hammer. When you compare different carpenters, it's kind of a given that they know how to use the tools. Right. We're not even going to really yeah. talk about that very much because you sort of, you hire a carpenter, you sort of just expect them to use, to be able to use the tools. What you actually hire or furniture maker, let's say, you know, what you're really looking at when you're comparing these two different furniture makers, for instance, is their creative skill of building a particular style of furniture that that you might like over somebody else Mm, mm. like you're not questioning a painter in like do they know how to use a paintbrush it's just that's like base level that's a given (laughs) you know and it's the same thing with photography The, the technical part is extremely important because it allows you to create the kind of image that you have in your mind exactly but you know just being a being in control of the technical part of it doesn't make you a better photographer than somebody else because again that's just a given yeah. like, you know um so you know when people talk about like wrong camera settings for example it's just the thing where i always think like well you know is there really a there's, there isn't really such a thing as a wrong camera setting it just means that you know it's only a wrong camera setting if you're not getting the result that you had in your mind's eye because, like, let's say for argument's sake, let's say you have this thing in your head where you want like a really soft background, you know, and 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 uh, a, a focus on on your on your subject, but you want to you want to make sure that your um, that your background is really nice and soft. Well, if you use the wrong aperture for that, then you're not going to get that. So that's an example of wrong yeah. camera setting. But you know, one person might want to have the background in focus and therefore choose this f11 or whatever, and another person doesn't want that. Another photographer doesn't want the uh, the background focus and therefore uses you know two point eight or one point eight yeah. or whatever, and so th- it's not a matter of well f eleven is, is the wrong yeah. camera setting to use in this case. It's just your creative idea is based on your technical knowledge of and there's and that's a quite a distinction, isn't it? Is um, choosing settings based on a creative idea or just choosing the wrong setting to change? So. Um, you know, you might have your shutter speed at one five thousandth, right? Yeah. But you're cranking your ISO to compensate for that to get yeah. a good exposure. Well, yeah. actually, well, don't introduce a ton of noise and put your ISO up at five thousand as well. Yeah. Bring that right down. Bring your shutter speed right down and balance it that way. So actually your noise goes away yeah. or drastically reduced, and you're still freezing motion provided you don't go too far. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's the situation that you're in will dictate pretty much what you can and can't do yeah. and how you have to set up, you know, how, how you have to control your your tool or your camera. Like, you know, you're talking about high shutter speeds, for instance, um, the uh, the bit that we shot a, a few episodes ago um, out on the moor is a really good example for that mm, because mm-hmm. the idea there was really, you know, to... Um, to really control the background or the sky and expose for the sky. And so the shutter speed had to go higher. So in this particular situation, just taking a portrait of you, yeah, 
you know, wouldn't not ordinarily require a shutter speed of 1250 or whatever it was at the time. Um, but in the scenario that we were in, given what we wanted to achieve creatively, i.e. we wanted to um, get, you know, exposed for the background, get these really nice colors in the sky, and then exposing you correctly in the foreground, that required technical knowledge. Yeah. And so that yeah. required higher shutter speed, and we knew we had to get extra value so that's Absolutely. what i mean it's you know it's um it very much ba- it's very much ba- uh, comes down to what you want to achieve creatively yeah, that's it and you know they're probably shots that i wouldn't anticipate a beginner attempting to try just yet mm-hmm. but it it's stuff people should aspire to so they can grow their knowledge yeah. to go okay so why is that why is that shutter speed so that's the type of thing you'll be thinking in the early days go it doesn't make any sense why this and over time you're just because you'll get so used to what those different functions do you'll start to appreciate why and it's the important bit the 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 why why. is always the important question actually that's the question that you should always ask as to why that's the first question you're going to come come to um i have this very often with events especially outdoor events um when i compare the way that i use my settings on my camera to, to other photographers, nine times out of 10, I find that, uh, when I compare my settings to others, you'd find that a lot of people would use aperture priority in mm-hmm. those sort of situations, especially for event photography, for example. Um, I actually, I don't like aperture priority. I prefer shutter speed priority. And the reason for me personally, um, I prefer it because creatively when I shoot, um, especially a music event, um, especially when it's an outdoors event where unfortunately in this country, um, the, the light changes all the time because unless you're in a place where you have clear blue skies for most of the time, mm. which I guess if you live in like a place like Arizona or something, that's the case. But over here in the UK, um, our skies are very often overcast or there's like a, a very rapidly changing mixture of sun and clouds. So you have basically clouds in the sky, you know, one minute you have um, a lot of sunshine and then literally the next second cloud moves in front of the sun and it changes the lighting conditions dramatically. Yeah. So aperture priority seems like a really good idea um, in this particular case, except for my, from my perspective, when I'm shooting a music event, I want to be in control of the shutter speed because I want to make sure that I get the amount of movement in, let's say the guitarist's hands or something, uh, where I want it to be. So, yeah, you know, it, and it may be that I want to freeze the, um, the movement or it may be that I want to display some movement in there. So I want to be able to control my shutter speed. So if I'm leaving it in aperture priority, I have no control over the shutter speed. Yeah. Um, but if I'm leaving it in shutter speed priority, I do. So, and the camera takes, takes care of, of all the rest of it. And because the lighting conditions are changing so rapidly, I can then really just focus on what I want to achieve creatively and let the computer take over. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the, the majority of event photographers would basically swear, uh, by aperture priority in, in a similar situation, but because I have a, a creative idea as to what I, and displaying this movement is important to me yeah. as a former musician or as and not a former musician, as, as a musician, um, <laughs> you know, I have a different agenda when I, when I take these, these images. So therefore I choose a different yeah. function. Yeah, of functionality on on my camera. So yeah. again, the thing about uh, wrong camera settings is like it's always like a thing where you go, well, it's pretty hard to say that something's wrong. It just depends on where you're coming from. Yeah, you know, 
Um, yeah. Anyway, so moving on to the next tip. I've got a few more in the back for you. Like shooting raw rather than JPEG. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, okay, actually, well, we have to explore that a little bit. There, yeah. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? There's a lot of there's a lot of sense in JPEG at, in the early days, I think, um, because RAW does require editing. Uh-huh. You need to do something with that, and you may not yet be comfortable doing that, and that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's Takes totally cool. you know, you're already, you're trying to get your head around your camera and taking the photos. Mm. Um, it might be at this stage, depending on who you are, it might just be a step too far to try and work your head out how to go around editing, yeah, even just basic editing. Reading, yeah. So JPEG actually might make sense because you can bake in a particular profile that you can set within your camera. Mm. However, <laughs> no. however, there will become a, there will be a point where the photos will not look how you want them to look at all yeah. because the profiles are just very specific profiles. And that's when you definitely need to shift to uh, RAW. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It might be easier for you to explain what RAW actually is. What's the difference between so RAW and JPEG? In, in a nutshell, really, when you um, when you take a RAW image, um, what actually happens is the camera um, records um, a, a much wider dynamic range. Yep. So what it, what it means is that um, you get a lot more detail. Or you can pull a lot more detail out of the shadows, for example, um, and you can pull your highlights back by you know a large degree as well. So so you, in the um, in the editing process, you have a lot more control over the way you want something to look. So, for instance, you know, you take a picture and it's some really dark shadows, and it looks like they're black, but really, when you then start to pull that back um, in in Lightroom, for example, um, or in Capture One, you realize that there's a lot more information still hidden mm-hmm. in these shadows, mm-hmm. and you can get a lot more detail back. Um, and that means you have a lot more uh, capability of controlling the way you want that image to look. Um, and it's the same thing is true for colors and, and yep. everything else. So, um, so a raw image when you first import it into the computer actually might look really rather flat. Yeah. Um, but you can have to bring that all that contrast back in um, in post. Um, and again, it gives you great flexibility. Um, it allows you to shoot in certain situations, um, knowing that you're going to be able to get something back in post. And concert photography is a really good example because mm-hmm. that's how I shoot. I always shoot at least stop underexposed. Um, and there's something called protecting the highlights where you make sure that you don't blow out the highlights and therefore you underexpose, knowing that in post you'll get that detail back in the shadows. So you already know, you, you basically shoot the photo knowing how much you can get back in post-production. Um, and so it's it's like this this balancing act because uh, between taking photo and camera and, um, and then the post-production process and in combination that will give you the end result. And I always compare it to um, electric guitars because an electric guitar on its own without an amplifier will sound very quiet and dead and won't sound very, very musical. Um, but an amp on its own makes no noise whatsoever. It's just a box, right, with a speaker. When you put the two together, that's when it starts to sound great. And this, the mm-hmm. same thing is really true for um, digital photography in a way where you have you know, the camera on one hand that's like your electric guitar and you've got the amp on the other hand. Um, Photoshop doesn't actually do any, any anything by itself, but once you put the two together, that's when the, the magic happens. And so, um, of course, then that requires you to know how to 
edit and how to yeah. uh, how to use Photoshop and Lightroom and all the rest of it. Um, the thing, the great thing about digital cameras nowadays is that you can shoot uh, JPEG and RAW yeah. at the same time. And so, for instance, just to give you an example, when you know I go out with my little Fuji um, X100 series camera, um, Fuji have some really nice picture profiles. What that means is basically they sort of almost like pre-edit, like the camera edits your, your photo and the colors and stuff in a certain way to give you that certain look, like a filmic look, for example, or a nice black and white look, whatever. And um, it bakes that into a JPEG. That edit doesn't get recorded on the RAW. You still have the RAW image there. So if you wanted to go back and re-edit that later on, um, you can, mm-hmm. right? Or you want to, you decide like, oh, I didn't want, uh, I want to, I don't know, use this as a color image rather than black and white, whatever. But because these, uh, these, these color profiles are so beautiful and they kind of emulate Fujifilm to an extent and whatever, um, it's, it, it, you can really create some really cool images just with these color profiles. Mm. So in many respects, there's actually, there's no need to shoot raw there if that's what you're after. And I always find that, um, uh, especially when we're going out to shoot some street photography, for example, I like to shoot in some of these color profiles. And um, very often then when I go back and I have both the JPEG with the baked in profile and the raw file, I'll actually then go and I'll try and edit the raw file so that it's, it's it, that it looks somewhat similar to the JPEG with with the baked in profile. As, and I, I use it as a reference point almost. And then I yeah. kind of make it better from there. Yeah. And that works for me as a as a process. So JPEGs are not completely useless. In fact, they're very useful um, in many different ways. Like my my daughter, you know, who's nearly ten now, when she goes out, I always get her to shoot in JPEG because, from her perspective, she's learning how to use a camera. Yeah. And um, in fact, she's learning how to use a camera, and she's also learning about like basic things like composition, which we'll come to in a second. Um, and as she's learning these things she needs to focus on this one aspect of what she's learning. Like if she's, if we're talking about composition and how to place, like she likes to shoot animals, uh, photograph animals. Um, she's thinking about where that subject is in the frame. And that's what occupies her mind. And I, I don't want her to get sidetracked with all the other decisions yeah. that need to be made, like which yeah. aperture to use and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So her camera is most likely an auto or semi-automatic or whatever so that she can really just think about well, where am I placing myself, how far. She also shoots with a prime lens, so she has to actually use her feet to zoom in and out. So she's thinking about, okay, where do I need to be like, in order to get this, this bird or this dog or whatever um, in the frame, in the way that I want it. So she's making the creative decision, and then she's, she's manipulating the camera to get the right composition going, basically. Um, and that's really useful. And then she takes a shot, and we can then... Um, look at the JPEG afterwards, and it's basically almost like a practice photo. Mm. You know, um, we can talk about what went well and what didn't go well, and whatever. You know, um, but she's not really she's not really going to edit very much. Although she got into um, Photoshop Elements. Oh wow! I think, recently, yeah. no way. And you know, let that be said that you have some flexibility with the JPEG as well. Of course. So it's not like you can't edit a JPEG at all, because that's sometimes you hear that and it goes like, well, that's not true. You, yeah. You can, you can edit Absolutely, JPEGs yeah. rather well, you know? 
um, in, in Lightroom or in Photoshop. It's, it's, it's a bit like you can, you can push raw this far, yeah. but you can probably only push JPEG yeah, that exactly far, right. you know? And you, yeah. And when you're shooting extreme things, like for instance, some of the environmental portraits um, that I do and, and, and absolutely the concept photography that I do, um, I'm in an extreme situation where I need extreme flexibility in the files. Yeah. And, and, and even I mean, that really gets to the point then from a professional point of view, it's where you'd, where you'd prefer Nikon files over other files. Right. You know, like I yeah. know that I have definitely more flexibility with a Nikon file than I have with a Fuji file. There's no yeah. question about that. Yeah. Um, so, for, for so not all raw is made equally. No, exactly. No raw is is made equally yeah. either. So, it's a question for you because I I'm not sure I've ever shot ever shot in anything other than JPEG and raw at the same time. Oh, really? Okay. I don't think I've ever shot just raw. I've always had the JPEG, oh. just because space is irrelevant, and so oh. I just have them both on for. Well, why not? <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I only shoot. I usually only shoot raw. So here's a question for, for you: Fuji, yeah. When you look at if you are shooting in just raw with not raw and JPEG, what image do you see on the back of the screen? Oh, that's when you're always that's a JPEG representation of it. It but still it's, is a JPEG, yeah, rep. but it does no JPEG um, actually saved on the card. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's um, that is the other thing you need to get used to when you start shooting in raw is that what you see in the back of the screen. Uh, it's not really what you're going to see on your computer screen. Yeah, once you've exactly. Yeah. So that's, you know, very often in the beginning, I remember like being surprised, um, you know, looking at the screen on my computer thinking that that's not what it looked like in the back of my mm. camera. Well, no, it isn't because you actually saw a JPEG representation on there, you know, and uh, um, again, as you get used to shooting like that, you get used, like for example, one good example is this. I had a discussion with somebody else about this the other day, actually. Um, so when, uh, when we go out to shoot street, I like to, sh uh, to shoot in black and white. And so I set my camera to give me a black and white, mm -hmm. um, view of the image. So when, you know, when I take the image, it comes up on the screen, it shows me the black and white version of that image. Very cool. I like it. I, I know, um, you know, it tells me whether I need to adjust my contrast or my, my blacks or my white point or whatever, you know, the shadows or the highlights or whatever. Um, so that I get the look that I want to get. Mm -hmm. All cool. Um, when I import the raw into the computer, they are color images because raw basically records everything, all the colors. Mm -hmm. um, I then have to start thinking about what I saw on the camera, which was black and white. So I then start to convert the raw file into black and white, and then I can edit it in the way that I, that I want it. Um, but what I see on the back of the camera is just a reference for me when I'm shooting. It doesn't mean, it's not the be all and end all. It's not actually the actual image that I'm recording at the time. It's just a representation Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I virtually never shoot in JPEG and RAW on the Nikon, ever. It's um, really only shoot in RAW. Um, and the only time on the Fuji that I shoot both is when we're doing street photography. Mm. Um, and it, the only reason I do that is because um, the JPEG will be in black and white then. And again, I'll just use it as a reference point for editing. Yeah. So I'll basically, I'll put them both next to each other um, in Lightroom and I'll look at the black and white and I'll go, okay, um, I like this bit, you know, the exposure, I like the way the shadows are there, but I don't like that bit because I want more, maybe the shadows have gone too far and I want a little bit more detail there. And that's how I then edit the raw. Um, 
but it's really just as a reference point. Yeah. Unless the very rare occasion where the JPEG is so awesome that I'll just go, right, I'm just going to go with that. I'm not sure I can bear that right now without a lot of work. So I'll just use the JPEG. Yeah. Or just generally, it's There's like, nothing wrong with nothing wrong You know, with it's just generally like, I love the way this looks. Um, I'm totally good with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, and you do that all the time in photography, especially, I mean, in digital photography is that for instance, you just take, uh, take crop, for example, I always shoot things wider because I can always crop in. And not as like lots of people be like, hey, I never crop in or kind of jazz. Totally cool. I like to have the option. Absolutely. I get that. I've, I've always kind of been that way. Recently I've, I've stopped to a certain extent mm. um, because I'm, I'm just trying to, better my composition at the minute i'm just trying oh, to nail it as thing. much as i can different thing, yeah. because the r6 um is only uh 20 odd megapixels yeah um uh, which is plenty by the way <laughs> absolutely yeah. plenty for sure um when you just start cropping a little you actually drastically drastically reduce that uh, now so if i ever do want to do something with it other than it being on social then I want as much resolution in there as I, I can get. So I yeah. try to get it as close as humanly possible in camera, but who's who, who has ever done that perfectly unless they're sat on a tripod and they're sat there for ages? If you're just walking around, that's mm. never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So I always crop yeah. a little and more, and more often than not to change the aspect ratio than um anything else yeah i mean there's aspect ratio with this you straighten things up a little bit and you lose a little bit around the edges oh. or you want to kind of zone in and stuff i don't um, think there's ever been a photo i've not straightened <laughs> yeah i'm just not that straight. well that's one thing and also i know that um there's a slight discrepancy between what i see in the viewfinder um as opposed to what's what happens on the screen i know that plus i mean Definitely. there's like lens distortion and all the rest of that and blah 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 you know so so straightening is just a normal standard sort of thing um and you know i mean the same thing happened in the dark room back in the day. So yeah. let's face it. Yeah, of know, course. Yeah. That's just a super standard kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I also find if I'm, um, I'm out on the street and I'm just using a 35, which is what I typically use at the moment because mm-hmm. I just love it. It's just, yeah, I'm same. really loving it. Yeah. Sometimes I've had to take a photo so quickly and I'm too far away because I was, I, I was just going to miss it completely. Mm. It just wasn't going to happen. By the time I got into a position where the composition was really good, mm. it was over and it was gone. I'd rather take the shot and crop in and lose a load oh. of resolution than miss the shot entirely. Yeah, well, I mean, this is like saying, you know, it's the old saying, like a grainy shot is better than no shot. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I love grain. I add grain to my photos. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, the focus... Not Lightroom's grain because I don't like it, but I, I do add grain. Yeah. It smooths the whole image out. You, you even, even when you can't, you can't see the grain. Yeah, it adds a element that wasn't there before. Yeah, it takes an edge off the. Yeah, the grain. You know, the grain in Lightroom can work well. Yeah, it depends on how you. You know, depends on how you use it. Yeah. For sure, I add grain to all my video. Yeah, most, not all of it. I, I use grain a lot in compositing. Mm. Blend stuff sure, nicely. I tend to use um, lots of it because. Um, because it just looks so much more unreal yeah. when you don't use grain. It's a level of um, blending that you don't get any other it way. It binds things together. It does. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's the thing. Um, so a good example there would be, for instance, um, so when we do car shoot, you know, very often, or more often than not, you'll, you'll, um, you'll take the license plate out. Yeah. And so you replace it with just the color of the car, you know. 
Uh, but if you just replace it with a color, it would look totally fake because there's always a, a, an element of grain in the image. And so therefore there'll be some grain on the rest of the car. So by adding, you know, by painting over the, um, over the license plate, in a sense, you mm. need to add some grain to make that look realistic as if it's actually yeah. part of the car. Um, that's a really good example. And you find that a lot with car photography, actually, is that you add grain to, to just blend things. In. Absolutely. Um, it's a bit like adding, if you're doing a composite like that, you're doing something like that, is making sure you add enough blur to what you're adding yeah. based on where it is yeah, in, absolutely. in yeah. the depth of field. Yeah. And, it's not stuff again. These are all right. We're slightly off track a little bit. With, yeah, it's getting a little bit more advanced. A little here. bit more advanced, yeah, but true. but these are all just things to start considering and thinking about as yeah. you as you as you develop and grow. So here's the last one. Let's let's uh, let's limit it a little bit because we could talk about lighting and posing. Um, but maybe we'll do we'll do two we'll things talk more next time, can't we? Yeah. So, but one thing um, that's a real beginner um, mistake in inverted commas, or something that that will really enhance your photography if you're if you are just starting out, is um, that lack of movement or lack of action in a frame. Um, so a good example is I hear this, this is a standard example for this sort of thing. If somebody takes a picture of their dog sleeping, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, that's your dog sleeping, but it's not actually anything happening in that photo. Um, it's much more interesting when the dog's actually doing something. Maybe the dog's jumping up or he's like playing with his ball or something like that. Um, that's a more interesting image. Yeah. Um, but as a beginner, we often think like, oh, that's a cute, you know, I'll just take a picture of my dog while he's sleeping in the couch. That's a cute picture of my dog. And of course, to you it is because you have an emotional connection with that dog. Exactly. But nobody else does. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's the same thing really in, in portraiture to an extent. You know, we take a picture of another human being just standing there. And it's like, okay, well, that might have a lot of... Um, meaning to me because that might be my wife or my kid or something like that or my grandma or whatever but to somebody else this means nothing because it's just another human mm -hmm. being another you know bag of flesh standing there doing nothing just, just to clarify so bag of flesh yeah that's yeah. what we're going with okay yeah. okay okay <laughs> just just making sure another flesh bag just standing there you know <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> exactly um so you know but it's it just like it, it, there's no there's no uh you don't have a connection with that person yeah you know yeah so in order to connect with what's happening in the image you know that person needs to do something some action needs to take place mm -hmm. in there so for instance you know if you have i don't know a juggler juggling something or or like a magician doing something like you know some like handling an object or something like that immediately there's more interest in the image because mm -hmm. you're not only taking in um the person itself but also what the person is doing and so you can get fascinated by the action itself you know um and what comes with that very often are like different facial expressions or something that is they're very hard to coax out of somebody um but they be, they uh, happen quite naturally when people are in the process of doing something yeah, yeah and that's true. where the interest comes from so in the beginning, you can, you know, if you just think of that uh, little fact that you want to introduce some or you want to incorporate some action or some movement in, in your picture, um, then that will lead to like creative thoughts that are, that make for a much more interesting picture. I mean, cars, you know, we were talking about cars. Good example. Take a picture of a car in your parking lot. Uh, okay. But if you take a picture of um, a car in movement, like in motion, like for instance, you know, when you're 
doing a panning shot, for example, or just simply like a really cool uh, action shot of a car, these images look more interesting yeah. than, than just a stationary car in a parking lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or on your drive or something like that. So, anyway, so we'll leave it at that. Um, for this week, we'll we'll uh, we'll include some tips maybe as a segment. We could make this a segment. That could be a cool segment. Done. Cool. Awesome. Love it. Good idea. Um, and yeah, because there's, there's you know, tons of stuff we can talk about. Yeah, we can yeah. talk all day about it. <laughs> how to pose? How to pose people? I get asked yeah. about this all the time. They're not actually. people. They're bags of flesh. Oh, bags of flesh. How yeah. to pose flashbacks? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, and on that, and on that bombshell, <laughs> I'm a flashback, flashback oh. photographer. <laughs> oh my! That's it. So that being said, we have come to the end of this week's episode of the Camera Shake Podcast. But of course, remember, if you want to be part of the community, head over to CameraShakePodcast.com and hit the Join Our Community button, where we will not bombard you with lots of newsletters and news. Uh, but once in a while, we might send you a little reminder to let you know of all the other awesome stuff that we're up to. Um, we're already planning some things for later on in the year where I might be able to meet up with people. Um, that is provided things open up a little bit more and, yeah. and um, you know, hopefully to us the autumn or something that might be possible. Absolutely. So that should be cool. Um, so again, cameracheckpodcast.com, head over there. If not, um, it would really help us out if you hit the subscribe button and hit that bell if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, likewise, just leave us a little bit of a star rating or review on, on Apple Podcast. That would be superb. That being said, we'll be back next week. I'm going to go on Holly Bops. Uh, in fact, by the time you see that, I might already be You'll back. You'll be back. I'll, yeah. be, I'll be back. Oh, I'll be on the way back anyway. So, uh, you know, send us some love. But we will see you again next week with another amazing guest. So watch out for that.